Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. Historically, Jewish people have lived in hopeful anticipation of returning to their ancient homeland, Israel. Where does this hope originate? We know it comes from the scriptures, and today on the program, Chris answers that question as he takes us to a special chapter in the book of Ezekiel, a prophetic chapter written during a desperate time in Israel's history. It plants the eternal seed of hope for God's chosen people. That's right, Steve. Today we're going to walk through Ezekiel chapter 37, the chapter commonly known as the dry bones passage when God does the impossible. He promises to restore the Jewish people to their ancient homeland and resurrect their divine purpose. Then we'll discuss how the dry bones passage fits within God's timeline revealed in the book of Ezekiel and later apples of gold. Every year at the end of Passover and Yom Kippur, the Jewish people recite an ancient prayer called Lashana Haba'ah. Uh, the prayer that said is this, next year in Jerusalem, you close the Passover celebration with the hope that maybe next year we'll all celebrate Passover in Jerusalem together. It's a saying that goes back centuries next year in Jerusalem. Also, the Israeli national anthem, Hatikva, which in Hebrew means the hope, was originally a poem that was written in Eastern Europe 70 years before there was even an Israel with, with need for a national anthem. Listen to the words of Hatikva. As long as in the heart within a Jewish soul still yearns, and onward towards the end of the East, an eye still gazes toward Zion, our hope is not yet lost, the hope 2,000 years old. To be a free nation in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. Jewish people for centuries from different parts of the world have maintained a posture that faces Jerusalem and Israel. The question is, where does this yearning heart the poem Hatikva is talking about come from? Where does this ancient hope find its origins? Well, there are several passages in the Bible that promise the Jewish people will be restored to their ancient homeland. But there is one chapter that stands out as a vivid and visual promise that once you read it, the imagery will be forever embedded in your memory. And I'm talking about Ezekiel chapter 37, the passage of the dry bones. The prophet Ezekiel is caught up in a vision where he's ushered by the spirit of the Lord to a valley, a valley full of bones, imagery that hints that a battle had taken place and the bodies left behind had deteriorated down to nothing but bones. It's imagery of death, destruction, and carnage. In fact, Ezekiel hints that these bones are very, very dry, which shows that there was no flesh left on them and that they've probably been there for a very long time. God then asks Ezekiel an interesting question. He asks this of Ezekiel, can, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds to God, sovereign Lord, you know. And this is such a great conversation between Ezekiel and the Lord. If anybody other than God said to Ezekiel, 
can these dried up bones, these bleached bones live? Ezekiel would have probably given his friend a strange look. Can these bones live? No way. They're, they're just bones. They're dead. They're gone. There's no chance to revive them. However, the one asking Ezekiel the question is the same one who simply speaks and it's done. He's the one who says, let there be light. And there was light. He's the one who parted the sea so that the Israelites could walk through on dry ground. So I'm sure Ezekiel knows from a human perspective, these bones can't live. But from a divine perspective, he's not about to challenge God. So Ezekiel's answer is perfect. Lord, only you know. So God says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and tell them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Look, I'm about to infuse breath into you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and muscles over you and I will cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God in this passage here in Ezekiel chapter 37 is about to do the impossible. He's about to bring back to life these dead and scattered bones. He's going to reverse death essentially. And the language God uses is reminiscent of the language used in the creation account back in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 when God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man came alive. And Ezekiel did just as God told him. He prophesied over the valley of the dry, scattered bones. And without hesitation, no waiting, Ezekiel started to hear rattling. And the text says this, bones came together, bone to bone. And as I watched, I saw tendons on them. Then muscles appeared and skin covered over them from above, but there was no breath in them. God took these dead bones and fused them together, added tendons and muscle and skin, but the bodies stood there lifeless, no breath, no life. That's when God told Ezekiel to command the breath to come on these corpses so that they might live. And Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 10 says this, so I prophesied and as I was, as I was commanded and the breath came into them, they lived and they stood on their feet, an extremely great army. God doesn't let the vision linger out there for interpretive disagreement. I, I love this about Ezekiel 37. He doesn't let this passage linger out there so that people can come up with dis- different interpretations of what Ezekiel 37 is talking about. And here's what I mean. God is going to put flesh, no pun intended, to the prophecy himself. And he tells Ezekiel, these bones are all the house of Israel. And God says in Ezekiel 37, verse 12, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am about to open your graves and I will raise you up from your graves, my people, speaking to the Jewish people, Israel, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. My friends, it doesn't get any more clear of an interpretation of a prophecy than when God tells you what it means right there. The ancient hope of the Jewish people returning to the land of Israel originates from a prophecy spoken 2,400 years ago. 
It's a hope that God would take the Jewish people from the four corners of the the world and to revive them in their land. So that what was once dead, what was once gone and even forgotten can be revived, resurrected, and reborn. And I'm struck by something, though. I'm struck by a divine pause. Did you hear that divine pause? It's a divine pause that happens after God revives the bones and turns them back into bodies, but then highlights to Ezekiel, there's no breath in them. The body may be standing, but it hasn't been made alive yet by the breath of God. And I believe this is an intentional pause. Think about this. The fact that there is a modern Israel today is a miracle in and of itself. God did the impossible. He did for the Jewish people something never done in history. After 2,000 years of Jewish people living in diaspora around the world, God paved a way for his people to return to the land. That's amazing. The odds of Jewish people returning to the land of Israel is about as likely as bones coming back to life and forming a body from a human perspective. But God does the impossible. And in 1948, the state of Israel declared their independence to the world and has been defying the odds ever since. But let's be honest. The miracle of modern Israel is still missing a vital component. It's the spiritual component. Israel of today is a secular state and still deals with ongoing conflict and rejection from the nations of the world. But isn't it interesting that God pauses between the lifeless bodies standing there and the breath of life that would bring those bodies to life? Could it be that we are living in a time between verses 8 and 9 of Ezekiel 37? Could modern Israel be the body standing there waiting for God's life-giving breath? I believe that breath of life comes when Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Israel, returns to bring the breath of God, the breath of life to Israel, to unify Israel, and to be Israel's king, just as Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 24 and 25 says. Listen to this. My servant David will be king over them. There will be one shepherd for all of them. They will follow my regulations and carefully observe my statutes. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob in which your fathers lived, and they will live in it, they and their children and their grandchildren forever. David, my servant, will be prince over them forever. When God says, my servant David, he's alluding to the Messiah who would come from the line of David who would be the son of David. And my friends, that's Jesus, the son of David, the son of God. And why does God choose to do this? Why does God choose to raise up the Jewish people and return them to their land? So that his people and the world will know he is God. My friends, the modern state of Israel is such a testimony to the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises to them and to us. Our God is the God of the impossible, and he doesn't just revive our dry bones in life. God breathes his life-giving breath into our lives when we trust and accept his son Jesus as our savior, the only one capable of forgiving our sins. 
And God's desire is to bring life to that which was once dead. Now be sure to stick around because after the break, we're going to continue our discussion on Ezekiel 37, the dry bones passage. We're going to see how it fits into the broader message of the book of Ezekiel. The word theology simply means thinking about God and expressing those thoughts in some way. If you think about it, everyone's a theologian of sorts, but sloppy theology is a problem. That's why at the Friends of Israel, we want you to be confident in knowing God's Word on a deeper level, understanding what the Scriptures say about God, the Bible, sin, salvation, and events to come like we're hearing about today in the book of Ezekiel. In light of that, I'd like to tell you about a resource we offer here at the Friends of Israel, Dr. Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology. It was written for every student of God's Word, from the devotional student to the seminary student. The book, Basic Theology, will give you a clear and comprehensive picture of Ryrie's approach to systematic theology. If you don't own a sound theological book, Ryrie's Basic Theology is the one to start with. To get your copy of Dr. Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology, go to foiradio.org, that's foiradio.org, or call our listener line at 888-343-6940, that's 888-343-6940. Welcome back, everyone. We've been working through Ezekiel 37, the passage of the dry bones. When God promises Ezekiel that Israel and the Jewish people will be brought back from the dead, that God would raise up those dry bones into a nation he always intended them to be. And let me tell you, for Ezekiel and the other Jewish people in the Babylonian exile, it definitely looked like the story of Israel was coming to its final chapter. They lost everything. They were kicked out of the promised land, Jerusalem was destroyed, and the temple was raised. How can a Jewish person follow the law if there's no temple? The image of the dry bones was probably very real to the prophet Ezekiel. And to make matters worse, the beginning of the book of Ezekiel is all about God's departure from the temple. Ezekiel chapters 9 through 11 details the step-by-step account of God's glory departing the Holy of Holies and leaving his people. Listen to what Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 22 and 23 says. Then the cherubim spread their wings with their wheels alongside them while the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. The glory of the Lord rose up from within the city. That's Jerusalem when he talks about the city. And it stopped over the mountain east of it. That's the Mount of Olives. And the picture that's being displayed here in this prophecy in, in Ezekiel chapter 11 is, a, is the image of God literally getting on his vehicle and leaving the city of Jerusalem and departing from the Mount of Olives. Forget about Jerusalem and the temple. You know, they're, they're a byproduct of a greater issue. And the greater issue is this, God left his people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who dwelled with his people in a cloud by day and a fire by night, ever since the end of the book of Exodus, has now, after all that time, left. God, who was leading and guiding his people, had left his people. 
And God left his people for a good reason. The sin and idolatry of Israel had reached a tipping point, and God could no longer stand to be within the presence of such unbridled sin. I'm sure Ezekiel and others thought this was the end of the road for Israel and the Jewish people, but, but God surprised the prophet. Much of the book of Ezekiel is judgment laid on Israel, but in chapter 33, things take a turn. God begins to share his plan to restore his people. And listen to what God says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 and 23. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And it's not for your sake that I'm about to act, O house of Israel, but for the sake of my holy reputation, which you profaned among the nations when, where you went. I will magnify my great name that has been profaned among the nations, that you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I magnify myself among you in their sight. God says he's going to act, but notice he's not acting because Israel is special and Israel deserves it. God is acting out of his grace and for his holy name, his holy reputation. God wants the world to see that he's a promise keeper and he's going to make sure Israel is back in the land to show the world he is God. But what about God leaving the temple? Listen to Ezekiel chapter 43, just five chapters before the end of the book. It says this, Then he brought me to the gate that faced toward the east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. The sound was like that of rushing water, and the earth radiated his glory. It was like the vision I saw when he came to destroy the city and the vision I saw by the Kibar River. I threw myself face down. The glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate that faces east. Ezekiel 43 is a prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. God's glory will come to his millennial temple. But what needs to happen before this event? We just read about it. Ezekiel chapter 37. Israel must be in the land. Let me close with this. I love that God says he's about to act in Ezekiel chapter 36. He's about to act on behalf of his people who don't deserve his grace at all. That's for Israel. But it also sounds like my life too. Think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, God acted. God acted on our behalf. He sent his son for us, even though we don't deserve any of it. And here's the great part. Paul says in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to see you through the very end, my friends. And we serve a God whose grace is greater than our sin. So let's praise his holy name together. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. After living in Israel for 36 years, many know me. Some greet me with Shalom. Others say something like, are you still alive? People like you should be dead. 
when I received one such greeting recently, I replied, No, my dear, that is not so. It is written, I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118, 17. What can you, a Christian, possibly tell me about the Lord, he asked. I said, The Lord has given me salvation, love, and peace in my heart through the Holy Spirit. That is why the Lord has kept me alive through the Holocaust and four wars here in Israel, so that I can tell others of his mighty deeds. He then said, You want me to accept this new faith that you believe in, your Jesus? I responded, The Lord Jesus did not come to make a new faith. He came to give us everlasting life through his suffering. I know all about suffering, he said sarcastically. I then asked, Would you like me to read about his suffering? He agreed. So I read Isaiah 53, the forbidden chapter for Jewish people. Suddenly this man who was so sure of himself was now interested in hearing about the Lord. Such people have spent their entire lives listening only to the revered rabbis and reading many books of tradition. So when I present facts from the Bible, they become curious and want to hear more. It is important to articulate that Christians do not believe in a new faith, but in the one true God. People walked by as we conversed, and one man said, Israel is not the right place for a Christian. If you want to speak about Jesus, go somewhere else, but do not do it here. I had never met people with such deep hatred for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus. They kept repeating, Jesus came to make a new faith, and because you believe in him, you have left the faith of your fathers. I told them, if you would read the Bible instead of your books of tradition, you would see this is untrue. One said, you are talking about the New Testament, but that does not belong to our Holy Bible. I told him, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The term New Testament is actually the Hebrew phrase, Brith Hadasha. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law, till all is fulfilled. Surprisingly, all were listening closely, so I asked, Do you still think Jesus came to make a new faith? Or do you realize he came to fulfill the Hebrew scriptures? We must have faith in him or we will be lost forever. One replied reluctantly, We must admit you are right. I told them, Now, through the love of the Lord, we can speak together as friends. Strive to learn more about the Lord and His great love for all people, and you will be able to stand against the false teachers who abound in our midst. They all responded, Amen.
I'll remind you once more, you can purchase your copy of Basic Theology when you go to foiradio.org. Once again, that's foiradio.org, or contact us on our listener line. It's 888-343-6940, 888-343-6940. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, engineered by Bob Beebe, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. 